When uh, you hear the word radical, what do you think of? Unfortunately, I think we are coming more and more because of the news to think of some pretty negative things. Um, people dressed in, in robes, people blowing themselves up in order to kill others in a market or on a bus, the jihadists. And that's obviously not a very positive thing. If I ask you to move beyond that, what do you think of radical? I don't know what comes to mind for you. I, the thing that popped into my head was a fan at an NFL game um, with no shirt on in 40 degree weather painted green. Or blue or red. I don't want to single out any one team that's green and yellow. But, um, you know, that, that comes to mind as sort of a radical who's just sort of over the top. And I confess to you, this has sort of been eating on me in this whole sermon series, Radical, together, because I realize a lot of the connotations of radical are not positive anymore. And yet Jesus calls us, I think, to be radical, and that's why we're talking about it. But we need to understand that on his terms. Because in his terms, what he's asking us to do is to be willing to walk a different path and come out of the masses who don't want God to say, I do want God. doesn't matter what anybody else says, I, I want God. I want God as my Father. And not only do we want God as our Father, but we're willing to get up and follow Jesus, who lived a pretty radical life in the sense of he cared for those nobody else would care for. He fed those who were hungry. He touched lepers. He loved government bureaucrats that everybody else hated. I mean, it, the list just goes on and on how radical Jesus was. And that's what he asks us to do. To be willing to walk a different path, even though others don't. Even though others may say, man, I don't know why you're doing that. It doesn't make sense to me. But we say it makes sense to us. We want to follow him. But today we're really talking about the other half of that, and that is radical together. Because it's only together that we really are going to be able to be radical. I went back to my NFL picture of those stands, and the guys painted. And you know, I do think, I usually don't see one by themselves. There's usually three or four of them in a row. Because I think you have to have some encouragement to say, we're going to go out there in 30 degree weather without our shirts on, and we're going to paint our bodies green or red or whatever. And that's hard to do alone, but if I get three other guys who are just as crazy as I am, it's like, okay, let's do it. And a lot of times they'll even spell words across their chests. Because there is something about if it's tough to be radical, it's at least easier to be radical together. What we're really talking about today is, is who the church is. And in one sense, it's all churches, but today we want to talk about Andover Christian Church and, and who we are. What, what do we think of when we think about the church? Too often, I think most of us, most people even around us in our culture would say, I think of an organization or I think of a building, and that's why the picture's up there. And that's what the church is. We're going to go down the street to the church. And we see the church as that. Rituals, maybe. Some programs. 
But that's really not what the church is intended to be. And I want to have a little lesson today of what the church is really supposed to be, and it comes from Jesus himself. The word in the New Testament written in Greek, the Greek word for church is ekklesia. We've heard that, maybe. But ekklesia is a combination of two words. The, the, the second half is from kaleo, to call. Sounds like kaleo, call. And the first half is ek, get, uh, exit, out. So it's, it's in a sense the literal words means to call out someone. But here's a little trivia for you if you like history. Jesus didn't dream up this word. The early church didn't dream up this word. It was a common Greek word that goes all the way back to ancient history. And democracy, which we are so proud of as a country, was actually invented in Athens, Greece. That was the first time somebody said, what if we didn't have a king, and what if the people ruled themselves? Nobody ever thought of that in history. And in Athens, they thought of that, and they said, well, then we'll need to pick some people from the whole population, and they're going to have to sort of have a council. City council, legislature, whatever you want to call it, and they'll come together and make decisions for our city. It'll be a democracy. Guess what they called it? The ecclesia. The Athenian ecclesia was where this word was first used. Those people out of the whole population called together to go up and they, you can go and see this hilltop. I, I, I got to see it once and to just stand there and think, that's where democracy began. And it was awesome to just stand there and look at that hilltop. It wasn't a fancy city hall. It was a lump of rock they all got together on and talked. And that's where the ecclesia met. Now what's interesting is Jesus said, that's what I want to call you. The ecclesia. Those who are called, and we're called. Jesus says, come follow me. God says, I want to adopt you. I am calling you. I am inviting you. I am choosing you. That's us. That's you. Whether you've answered or not, he is calling you. And he's calling us to, to come out. To stand up from the masses of humanity who say, I don't need God. Or who say, I, I am my own God. To stand up out of that group and say, no. You know what? I, I think I do want to believe in God. I, I do want to follow this Jesus. I'm willing to be different and stand up out of the crowd and follow him. But what, like that uh, Athenian council, we're not just called out, we're called out for a purpose. In a sense, there's a reason they were chosen and asked to leave the population and come together, and that's us. Jesus calls us together for a purpose. It's not just the leaving, but it's why we're called together. What we're called to do, to be. The purpose for this calling. And that's where I want you to turn over with me, if you would, to 1 Peter. There's a lot of different passages we could look at. I think this is a great one. 
that sort of says, why are we called together? Why are we in this room? Why has Jesus said, you, come follow me, and I got some others who are following me, let's get together. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, if you look on the screen or if you're in the live event, here's how the message says it. And I love how the message paraphrases it. You are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you from nothing to something from rejected to accepted that's who the church is that's why we are called out why we are the ecclesia for this purpose to be that community but that community with a mission to declare what we've found that others can know. That's what Jesus calls us to be. And that's this radical together. Not painting ourselves with red paint, but living as Jesus in a world that is so desperate. Living to give a world hope that there is a God and a, a higher power that wants to know us and love us and adopt us and that we can have new life. But how do we do that? I hope as you hear that it sounds positive to be a part of that kind of church, that kind of fellowship, community, but how do we actually do this? I want to look at three things that are key today to being radical together. The first thing is what we're talking about, and that is not alone. Because the truth is it won't work. We'll fail, and it's guaranteed. And I think this is something we need to wrestle with because it's a popular concept today in our individualistic culture. And that is faith is something that's just very personal. Leave me alone with whatever you're doing. It's just my own journey. But the reality is we are intended to do this together. It's not by accident that Jesus is the one who started using the term ecclesia. He's the first one who said, I will build my assembly. I will build my community of called out people. Because he knew we needed each other. And if we look at what Jesus did, we see that throughout. He called people together. 
He had a band of disciples who walked through Palestine together. Even when they split up, he sent them out in groups together. He never sent them out alone. There's a reason for that. He knew that for our faith to grow, for us to be the people God wants us to be, that Jesus needs us to be, it won't work if we try and do it by ourselves. We need each other. Not alone, together. And I want to ask you that before we go on to the next two points, to ask yourself, how are you trying to do faith? How well are you plugged in with other believers? How well are you connected at this church? What effort do you make to get integrated and to have those relationships so that you know you're not alone? You know there's people you can call. There's people you get together with to talk about faith. That's why we have classes. That's why we have small groups. Why we offer food, fun, and friends. So that we can build those relationships and we're not trying to do it alone. Because it doesn't work. Not alone, together. The second point is... Not just a few of us, all of us. That's how we do this together. This is one of our common mistakes, and the church is partially to blame for this. We are in a culture that's entertainment-oriented, and one of the things that sort of trains us to do is that we become spectators. And we watch performers. A bunch of us sat around a TV last night and watched some of the NBA competitions. And it's fun to do. You watch people dunk and do things that it's like you can't do that. But they did. And a Timberwolf won. I thought that was pretty amazing. I can't comprehend jumping so high you have to duck because your head's going to hit the rim. I. I, on my best day, I won't do that. It's not going to happen. So I get why it's fun to be a spectator. But the danger is we bring that into church. And to some degree, if you look back over history, the church plays along with that. And says, we're going to have clergy who we train, and they're going to be up front. Or we're going to select these real gifted people and they're going to be up front singing or teaching or leading. And the rest of us sit in the pews and say, sure, that's great, I'm going to watch them. But you see, that's never going to work for us. It's never going to work for the ones up front because it just feeds into pride and power. And we see that in the church constantly tripping us up. But it's also never going to work for us if we're the spectators sitting in the pews because there's so much of that being with Jesus and having a sense of walking with Him and making a difference that we'll never understand because we're not experiencing it ourselves. But most importantly, it'll never work 
because it's not God's design. It is never what God intended. And if you don't believe that, turn with me over to 1 Corinthians 12. I thought we'd have a little fun, so we're going to read this chapter backwards. You probably, I don't think I've ever said that in a sermon, but we're going to do this backwards. So I want you to jump to the end of the chapter, because we're going to read three verses in reverse order. So first of all, I, I want to read verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Now, that, that's not a theological term. Paul is using an analogy throughout this whole chapter of the human body. And uses that human body to explain how the church is designed to work. And his conclusion at the end in verse 27 is, guess what? Every one of you is an integral part of this body. This church. This thing that Jesus has designed and is doing and working through. And every one of you is an active part. You see, that's why I say spectatoring in church. I know that's not a word. It's wonderful to have a wife who's a teacher. I just was preempting her strike. But the concept is, is real. There's no spectators in Jesus' church as he designed it. And we're going to see it's his design. Every one of us is chosen, called together to be an active part. That's verse 27. Now go back to verse 18. And in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, each one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Do you ever sit and wish you were somebody else? I wish I could sing like them. I wish I could play like Carrie. I wish I could talk like somebody. I wish I could whatever. Don't do that. That's Satan. You are who you are by God's design. What you bring to the party, what you add to the church is God's design, His blueprint for you. And you have something. I understand a lot of you may be sitting there right now in the pew saying, not me. I don't have anything to contribute. That's not true. This verse of God's Bible that is never wrong says that's not true. Now you may not have a voice to sing. You may not have an ability to preach. You may not have those specific things but you bring something else. Every single one of you, by God's design, brings something here that He has a plan for. He wants to use. You may not see it yet. You may be sitting there saying, I, there is no way. That's okay. But it's still true. You just haven't discovered it yet. We need to do America's Got Talent for the church here. And discover what you've got to add to the mix. Because verse 7. Now to each one. Notice all three of these. Each. Every single one of us. To each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given 
for the common good. You're not just here for you. You have a piece to add to this puzzle that we all need. And God has designed you to have that piece because he knew that the puzzle called Andover Christian Church would need what you have to bring to the table. And that's why when we think church should be done by a few people, we rob the church of its richness, we rob the church of its abilities and gifts, and we're trying to have a few people do it all, and they'll always fail. And that church will be, have less abilities, less impact, be less life-changing because we're expecting a few to do everything and missing the gifts that the rest have to bring and offer. So not alone, but together. Not just a few of us, but all of us. And the third one is not just here, but everywhere. This is another common mistake. And it affects how we see the church and it limits our impact. Too often, the church is about the building, isn't it? And it's what happens at the building. And so practically speaking, what that becomes is the church is going to have its impact on Sunday morning at the church building and Wednesday night at the church building. And that's where lives are going to be changed and we just got to get people there so that my cynical side has to say, so the professional fishermen can change their life for me. But that robs us of all that God wants to do. Jesus intends for ministry to happen everywhere all week long. Think about Jesus. Where did Jesus do ministry? It wasn't just in the temple, was it? In fact, most of our stories of Jesus' ministry aren't tied to the temple or a synagogue. What are they tied to? He's out traveling. He's walking. He's out on the roads. He's walking through city streets. And ministry is happening. And on what days did it happen? Every day. Every single day that Jesus was alive and moving around, he was open to what he could do. What God might put in front of him that day, that person, that situation, that need. And he was just open to that. And ministry happened. 24-7, as we like to say. Now, what did Jesus say? I have set you an example that you might do as I do. We need to take Jesus serious about that. And expand our horizons to where and when God might want to use all of us in ministry. In your neighborhood, on Tuesday night, God might want to use you. At work on Thursday morning on a break, God might want to use you. Next June, in, in your week of vacation, God might want to use you. And it goes on and on and on. When you go out to lunch and have that conversation with a high school friend you've just caught up with, God might want to use you. 
when you see somebody struggling with something, God might want to use you. And what day of the week it is does not matter. There may be somebody God wants you to invite to this retreat, whether it's the women's retreat or the men's retreat. But there may be somebody God needs you to not be in the church building at a church program so that you can spend time with them and maybe God can use you to touch their lives. You see, the truth is, and this is part of what I hope you can capture, is you can reach people that I will never reach. We moved into our neighborhood and it's amazing how instantaneously, and I didn't think I have a, a tattoo on my forehead, but instantaneously it was known in the neighborhood, pastor. <laughs> and it's been seven, eight years now, and I still, from my neighbor across the street, get, oh yeah, I, I shouldn't say that around you, sorry. You see, there's people that their defenses go up when they know somebody's clergy. Their defenses don't go up when you sit and have lunch with them. When you ask a question, they don't instantly get defensive. You can touch people I can't touch. You can go to places I can't go. People will put their defenses down with you that won't with me. You have so much potential for God to use you. And it may have nothing to do with this building or Sunday morning or Wednesday night. God wants to use every one of you to touch lives. I want you to be here next Sunday because we're going to have a different sermon. That's something I've never done but I'm excited about it. I'm going to talk for a little bit and then David McKnight's going to come and he's just going to tell stories about people he knows. He's this uh, Christian guy who leads a bunch of Bible studies for men in the workplace who want to let God use them. And I want you to hear some real stories of people he knows in the Twin Cities that are letting God use them. And they're people just like you. They're not clergy. They're not pastors. And they're real people with real names right now in Minnesota, here in our area, who are just saying, God, I want you to use me. And they're open. And God is. And I just felt like you need to hear real stories of real people so you don't just think, well, yeah, Jim, it's easy for you to say. That's theory. But what about really? And I want you to hear some of David's stories next week. Because it is true. If we capture a vision of how God can use us and what radical looks like to Jesus, and it's just caring about people like he did. I hate reading quotes from books in sermons, and that's why I do it so seldom but I just need to read this one to you. I have talked to you, this sermon is, uh, series is based on a book from, by David Platt, Radical, it's the story of a church in Birmingham, Alabama. After he wrote that first book, there were so many churches that contacted him saying, we want to do this too in our church. He actually collected and 
put this second book out, Radical, together, which is the story of how churches do this. But there's a quote in here. Of, he describes what happened in their church. And so listen to please. From that point, the impact of our church in the community changed radically when they got this concept. Now our people are busy leading Bible studies in their workplaces and neighborhoods, helping addicts in rehabilitation centers, supplying food in homeless shelters, loving orphans in learning centers, caring for widows in retirement homes, providing hospice care for the elderly, training men and women in job skills, tutoring men and women in reading, helping patients in AIDS clinics, teaching English to internationals, and serving in a variety of other ways. And now our leadership team understands that it's good when people are so involved in ministry where they live, they don't have time to participate in the programs we create at church. I think Jesus would love for this church, for us, to become radical together and change Anoka County. Let's pray. Father, I know this is this isn't comfortable. It doesn't make us feel good. The cross didn't make Jesus feel good. And I know it's something you want us to do because you care about Anoka County and not just Anoka County, you care about Haiti and the Philippines and Mexico and Uzbekistan and you need our help you've called us to be radical for you to do whatever you need because Jesus did whatever we needed and I pray you would give us strength I pray that you would call us to rise up and to come out and be your ecclesia your assembly. Willing to do whatever you ask us to do. Letting you use us however you want to use us. Becoming radical for you together. I pray this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.